Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians. So not long after Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians, he got a report about the Christians in Thessalonica, that the problems he had addressed in that letter not only had continued, but had gotten worse. The persecutions had intensified, and the Thessalonian Christians had become confused and scared about the return of Jesus. So Paul sent off this short letter, which is designed to have three sections that address the three problems in this church. Paul first offers hope in the midst of their continued persecution, and then he offers clarity about the coming day of the Lord, and then finally he brings a really specific challenge to the idle, people who were refusing to work normal jobs. And the end of each of these sections is clearly marked by a short closing prayer. Paul opens with a thanksgiving prayer for the Thessalonians' continued faithfulness and love, and specifically for their endurance. He's learned that their Greek and Roman and perhaps even Jewish neighbors have intensified their persecution of these Christians. They're a religious minority facing violent oppression. And Paul's worried that they might give up on Jesus if it gets worse. So Paul reminds them, like he did in the first letter, that their suffering because of being associated with Jesus, it's a way of participating in God's kingdom. Jesus was inaugurated as king by his suffering on the cross, and so his followers will show their victory over the world by imitating Jesus' nonviolence and patient endurance. Paul also reminds them that this won't last forever. When Jesus returns, he will bring his justice to bear on those that have oppressed them and shed the blood of the innocent. Specifically, he says that their punishment is to be banished away from the face of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Paul does not speculate here on the fate of those who reject Jesus, except to say that throughout their lives they wanted nothing to do with Jesus, and in the end, they get what they want, relational distance from their creator and their king. And for Paul, this is the ultimate tragedy, to choose separation from Jesus, who is the source of all life and love, is to embrace one's own undoing. He closes this thought by praying that God would use their suffering to bring about deep character change inside of them so that their lives would bring honor to the name of Jesus. All right, we're going to jump right into 2 Thessalonians, and we're going to spend the next few weeks there. There's only three chapters to the letter uh, of 2 Thessalonians, and Paul the Apostle wrote this letter to the church in Thessalonica. And the first letter was to help them understand that Jesus was indeed coming back and that they needed to live like eternity mattered. And at some point after the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, things instead of getting better actually ended up getting worse. And they, Paul had heard about persecution that had intensified and the Christians were also freaking out, thinking that Jesus had somehow already returned, and they had missed out on it. And so they're kind of in panic mode, wondering what is happening, what's going on. And so Paul writes this letter to address their concerns and to help keep them encouraged and to help them to be focused and to help them to understand that in spite of their suffering, that they need to be reminded there is purpose behind that suffering. So with all that in mind, let's dive into 2 Thessalonians, and let's read chapter 1. Let's just read the first five verses here to get things kicked off, where Paul writes this, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, 
because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is verse 5. Pay attention to this one. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. You know, suffering is part of the Christian walk. That's not something that we like to talk about very often because we like to hear about all the great things. We're like, hey, I got into this Christian thing for all of the good things. And yes, there are tons of great things that we can be secure in and be grateful to God for, but we can't dodge what Scripture says openly about suffering being a part of the Christian walk. And look at how intense of language that Paul even uses when he begins to talk about suffering. He said, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you would be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. So he says, this is part of us finding out how to walk worthy of the calling that we have been called to. Romans 5 and verses 3 through 5, the Apostle Paul, same guy that wrote this letter to the church in Thessalonica, he also wrote to the church in Rome the same idea in Romans 5, 3 through 5, where he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul says this is a part of this journey of of helping us to grow. And he begins to give these layers of growth and what these layers of growth actually produce. He said suffering is going to produce endurance. And endurance is going to produce character. And character is going to produce hope. And we know that hope is not going to put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts because of the Holy Spirit. We just wrapped up a series going through teaching on prayer. And we prioritize prayer because when we pray, we deepen our dependence on God. This is all about faith because Hebrews 11 and 6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God, for He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So part of our responsibility as a follower of Christ is to deepen our dependence on God. And as we go through difficult times, as we go through suffering, as we go through challenges, as we go through trials, these things create in us a heart that's going to go one of two ways. It's going to create a focus that's going to go one of two ways. Either we're going to look to ourselves and our own strength and our own guise and our own uh, ideas and our own thoughts, or we're going to deepen our dependence on God. And that's why we talked about prayer the way that we did over the past few weeks, because it's part of that anchoring that keeps me steady during the storm to trust and depend on God and not myself. And when I pray when things are going bad, that's one thing. But when I pray when things are going good, it reminds me that even in the good times, even when maybe things in life are going my way, even when maybe I, I, just, I just can't uh, fathom life getting any better, that even during those good times, I still need to anchor and remind myself, I still have a deep need and a deep dependence on God. And that's where faith kicks in. 
That's how we please God. That's how we deepen our trust in Him. And part of suffering is deepening our, our trust in the Lord because it produces in us, Paul says, endurance. It helps us to continue on. The Apostle Paul said he wanted to finish this race strong, this race called life. He wanted to finish strong. Not, not getting weary to where at the very end he's, not, he's just barely hanging on, but he said he wanted to finish strong. That takes endurance. That takes uh, growth. That takes deepening trust, deepening those roots. So when that storm comes, I don't get uprooted because I've learned to deepen my hope and my trust in the Lord. And that partly, par partially comes from us enduring suffering. And when we talk about suffering in America, it's not the same type of suffering necessarily that Paul is describing here to the Thessalonians, because you and I live in a country where we're not persecuted openly for worshiping. We're, we're not being persecuted for broadcasting this signal. We're not being persecuted for gathering collectively here or wherever you may be worshiping with us and gathering. Uh, we're not gathering most of us out of any type of, of fear or, or pressure. We're all actually gathering rather freely and comfortably. We get more concerned about the temperature in the room. You know, this is a little too hot for me today. It's a little too cold. They could really adjust things. You know, the cushion on my seat or isn't quite what I, I would want it to be. We're, we're more concerned about those comforts and being comfortable. And we don't really think about the context in which this letter was being written because it was being written to people who are struggling. I mean, they're meeting out of fear for their very lives, for their livelihoods. They're meeting and gathering, being persecuted, ostracized from their family, being kicked out of their family just because of their belief, just because of their faith. They're being uh, let go from their jobs there's certain places in the marketplace they're not allowed to do business with because, oh, there's those Christians. There's those Christ followers. followers. They're a part of the way. That's the people that are coming along and, and following this Jesus. Oh, we don't, we don't do business with those people. They're, they're being blocked out from what they used to participate in quite freely and normally. And the difference is Jesus and their suffering is, is a lot different than what we would count suffering but at the same time, even though we may not be in that same context, we still have challenges, do we not? We still have things that come against us, obstacles. Some of our obstacles can be apathy. Some of our obstacles can be the fact that we're not taking God as seriously as we should. Some of our obstacles could be financial, could be relational, could be something to do with family dynamics or marriage dynamics or whatever the case may be. There's different challenges that you and I face, and it's still the same idea that Paul said is going to help them to overcome and grow and deepen their trust in God is the same pathway for you and I to be able to deepen our faith and our trust in God. And that is to continue to move forward in spite of suffering. Paul says that we may be counted worthy. That's strong language that he used to the Thessalonians. Part of the worthiness that you and I are called to, part of the calling that we as Christ followers are called to is suffering with Christ, suffering the way that Christ suffered. Because if we think that just because we decided to follow Jesus that we're going to be celebrated, that we're going to be welcomed everywhere, that we're going to be loved by everyone and everything's going to go our way, man, we didn't really understand what we were signing up for. We didn't count the cost, as Jesus said. 
we didn't truly understand the weight and the value of Christ himself if we weren't willing to go through difficult times because of Christ. Jesus even told his disciples, he said, guys, he said, there's going to be some hard times coming. There's going to be some challenges coming. And it, your life is going to be extremely difficult. And Jesus let them know it's because of me. It's my fault. The reason is going to be because you have become a follower of me. That's the reason why people are going to hate you. They're going to despise you. They're going to reject you. And it's going to be because of me. He said, but don't let that intimidate you. Don't let that cause fear. He said, because I have overcome the world. It's good to know that we're on the side of the overcomer. Amen. It's good to know that we're on the side of the one who has already won the victory. That helps me to remain focused during times of difficulty, times where things may be very difficult, and I want to run everywhere else but to God. During times where I want to run to all of the things to relieve a little bit of pressure, relieve a little bit of pain, and when God says, will you just deepen your trust in me? Will you deepen your faith in me? Will you run to me and watch how faithful that he is not because he always just instantly makes everything better and instantly alleviates all of my pain but because he's faithful even through the dark times i don't know about you but i know that for me personally i can look back in the rearview mirror of life and I can see challenges that I have gone through personally, that my wife and I have gone through, that our family has endured, even things that we have endured as a church family together. And I can look back in that mirror and I can see the faithfulness of God. And I am reminded and I am stirred to remember the faithfulness of God. So whatever challenge you may be facing, remember the things that God has brought you through. Remember His faithfulness and what He has done. And He is worth following. And for us to walk worthy of our calling, we have to trust in Him and continue to move forward and not allow suffering to be the place where we just stop and give up hope. And say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm done. This is, this is my limit. No, God, I'm going to continue to walk with you because you're worthy. I remember when I lived in Texas with my family, we were, uh, uh, the, the twin girls had just been born. And, and for those of you who don't know, I have three kids and our oldest, our son, is 17 months older than the girls. And I don't know if you know how things work or not, but you can't plan on having twins. It just kind of happens. Um, and, and so we didn't plan on having twins. We were really excited and elated when we found out that we were, but there were so many health complications with the girls, and there were so many challenges, and stays at Children's Hospital in the NICU, and helicopter flights, and, and all sorts of crazy things that happened uh, just in the first few months of our oldest daughter, uh, Abigail's birth, and then even after that, both of the girls, because they were premature, had so many health problems, we actually sat down and did the math for fun because that's what you do sometimes. And we sat down, my wife and I, the first year of both of the girls' life between the two girls, 12 months in a year, we had spent eight months in a hospital out of that first 12 months off and on, in and out. And so we slept on a lot of hospital beds, uh, slept on a lot of those, you know, super comfortable little chase things they set out for you, ate some amazing food, um, you know, I mean, just really, really accommodating, slept like a log because no one woke me up or interrupted me in the middle of the night. 
No, it was difficult. It was challenging. And then on top of that, we were planting a church in Texas. And on top of that, in order for us to have income, I had started a graphic and website design business. And it was actually going pretty well until my customers stopped paying their bills. And uh, I thought, I'm getting all this work, and I was putting all this work out, but the, they weren't paying their bills when I would send their bills. And I didn't know that's how business works sometimes. And uh, it was a really difficult time. And so here we are financially struggling. We've got three babies and in diapers. And we're struggling with this idea of the church and trying to plant the church and stay encouraged there. And then on top of that, for some reason, we decided to get in a home remodel project and try to flip a house because that's just what you do, you know? I mean, it seemed like a good time to add uh, another layer. So we began to flip this house, began to do some remodeling, got a great deal on the house. So because of that, we were able to borrow a little bit more to put into the house, and then the money ran out, and I have unfinished bathrooms, kitchens, and bedrooms. Oh, this is great. And we're living in the middle of all of this. And this all happened within a span of like two years. And that was one of the lowest points in my life um, because I felt hopeless. And I remember feeling overwhelmed. And I began to feel very sorry for myself, began to feel very trapped. And I said this to God. I told God, I said, I'm doing this for you, you know. <laughs> I reminded God, I, I left a comfortable job as a youth pastor where people loved my wife and I and our family and they took care of us and we were, we were living a, a, a really comfortable life and we left all of that to go into a town where we knew no one that we felt God leading and calling us to, to plant this church and God, I, I'm doing this for you. And God would show up in little ways to remind us that, hey, I called you to this, hey, you're in the right spot, hey, you're where you're supposed to be. And there were times, man, I can tell you, I wanted to quit. I wanted to give up. And sometimes, I remember a few times specifically, being in the half-finished bathroom that I had, sitting down in the shower with the hot water just pouring over me, just sobbing, just crying, and just wanting everything to just go away. And I would just go take unnecessary showers to just be alone, be by myself, to cry, because that was the only room in the house I could go to be alone from three babies and, and my wife and not be around utter chaos and, and all these challenges. And I remember sitting there, and all I could utter out at times was not some eloquent prayer, not some, some big, huge rally cry, not some big encouraging, yes, Lord, I, you got this. I'm more than a conqueror. Greater is he is in me than he is in the world. And I, and, I, and, and I walked out feeling just on top of the world. No, I remember there being times literally all I could utter out during the weight of that season was, God, I still trust you. That was all I had. The rest of it was just groanings too deep for words. Stuff I didn't even have words for, didn't know what to say, didn't know how to pray. Felt like my back was against the wall, but I wanted to remind myself, God, you're still worthy of my trust. God, I still trust you. And I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what you've been through. But I do know he's faithful. And I know that he's worthy of our trust. Amen, church? You see, Paul was reminding the Thessalonians that they have been given grace by God for this season. A lot of times we wonder, where is God during our struggles, during suffering? He's still there. He's still there. 
doesn't matter where, you, where you've gone. You, you can try to outrun him. You're not going to outrun his grace. You're not going to outrun his love. He's still there, and he's still wanting you to turn to him and put your trust and your dependency on him solely and not on yourself because guess what? You're not that great on your own. You need him. Amen? And the Thessalonians have been given grace and strength to endure this. And Paul said, I can see it. I can see the evidence that you're actually doing well during this season. And I'm wanting to encourage you. And here's the reason I can tell you're doing well. He said, because of the way you're loving one another. You see, these guys weren't in this thing alone. He said that you all have been steadfast in your faith in all your persecutions, in your afflictions that you're, that you're enduring. He says, your faith is growing abundantly and the love that you have for one another is increasing. You see, they leaned into Christ-centered relationships. They leaned into Christ-centered community. They leaned into a family of faith instead of isolating. You know, a lot of times when we're struggling, we don't want to let anyone know our struggles. We don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to be transparent because we think either we've got this or we think that we're supposed to have it. And, and I think that sometimes, I think I just stepped on a hot button here. I, I think a lot of us will be honest enough with ourselves to recognize we don't have this and we need help. But I think that the bigger challenge that we face is that we think we're supposed to have it. And so we feel as if somehow we're, we're going to disappoint others or disappoint, or disappoint God or that we're going to somehow be in a position where, where, where maybe uh, it, it's, a, it's a lack of faith on our behalf to lean into Christ-centered community when we struggle. And I believe that's a lie from the enemy. Because as I see how the church endured and even thrived during seasons of suffering and persecution, it was because they were leaning into Christ and Christ-centered community. They were leaning into those relationships around them that God had placed them. They were loving each other. They were caring for one another. We can see that they were bearing one another's burdens, as Scripture says in Ephesians. They were caring, helping to shoulder one another's cares and loving each other right where they were, not judging each other and going, oh man, they got some problems over there. I mean, did you hear what they're going through? Or, oh my goodness. No, they were loving each other. How can I help? How can I serve? How can I be there for you, brother or sister? How can I be there for this family? Because they cared about one another deeply. And Paul said, this is part of the evidence that you're doing well during suffering. So if you want to know if you're doing well during a challenging time, during a time of suffering, wh where are you leaning? Are you isolating, thinking, I, I've got this or I should have this because I'm supposed to be some sort of rock star in the faith and I've got this and I'm supposed to have this and I can deal with this? Or are you leaning into those relationships that God has strategically put around you? Those Christ-centered relationships, that church family, are you leaning into those relationships because that's part of the way, that's part of the vehicle that God uses to help us to continue? To, can, to be encouraged, to be strengthened, to be cared for. Man, I, I don't know how we would have gotten through the times that we have endured if it wasn't for a Christ-centered community. Thank God for the body of Christ. Amen? I mean, even people that my wife and I, we never had even met before, but because we were Christ followers, surrounded us. I'm wearing a shirt today that says CMA USA. That's the Christian Motorcyclist Association. 
And my wife and I have been a part of the CMA since uh, the late 90s. And as we have been a part of that ministry, um, we were in Little Rock, Arkansas at Children's Hospital with our daughter, Abigail. And man, let me tell you, money doesn't really stretch out that far when you're living remotely, not working. And you're trying to be with your daughter who's in the NICU, um, hooked up to all sorts of machines. But the Christian Motorcyclist Association heard that we were up there and people we had never met before came and brought us their trailer that they were intending on taking on a motorcycle trip to actually stay in their, their, their camper trailer. And instead of them taking it, they sacrificed and stayed with some friends and gave us their trailer to stay in. And we were able to hook it up on site at uh, the Children's Hospital there in Little Rock, Arkansas. And then they took up an offering of over $1,000 for my wife and I. And then they filled the camper with groceries as well. I had never met any of those people before. What would cause someone to do something like that? What would cause someone to do something like that? It's the love of God in their hearts. That's the body of Christ taking care of the body. It doesn't matter what their names are. It doesn't matter what our names are. What matters is that God is glorified and the body is loving one another during times of trials and challenges. It doesn't matter who gets the credit, who gets the glory. I, I can't remember any of their names, but I remember how they made me feel, and I want to give all the honor and credit and glory to God. You see, even when we suffer, we are still victorious in Christ. And we need to hold on to that, and we need to be anchored in Christ, because when you're a part of a community, a family of faith, when one suffers, we all suffer. We may not all be struggling with the same thing, but we are driven by love. We are driven by compassion. And we can even grow and thrive under persecution. We can even grow and thrive in seasons of suffering. It doesn't always have to be things are going well, so we're just doing so well. If you look at church history, if you look at the ebb and flow of church history, you'll see something that's pretty clear. You'll see that the church always thrived and grew and expanded under times of persecution. And you see the gospel message was being spread. Therefore, the enemies of the church didn't know what to do. Man, it bothered them. It confused them because they're thinking, we can't like, 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 uh, make these people's lives more miserable because the more we try to make their lives miserable, they actually are spreading. And they even tried to kill people, and they tried to, to make martyrs of people, and, and people would actually consider it an honor to be martyred and to be, to be killed for the sake of Christ. And some people would actually pray, Lord, let my life be given as a sacrifice if it brings you glory. And you would hear some of these martyrs' prayers, and they're like, they're asking to die for the sake of Christ. We don't know what to do. It's confusing the enemy. The enemy did not know how to react to people who were so driven by a love for God and a commitment to Christ that they were even willing to give their very lives for Him. How else can we hurt them? They try to, they try to beat them. They go, oh, we count it joy to suffer with Christ. These people are weird. They're actually getting excited about the fact that we're throwing them in jail and they're multiplying as a result. So what do we do? what do we do? You see, even in our sufferings, we're still victorious because what can man do to us at the end of the day? 
Yeah, he can kill the body. You can make the body perhaps go through some physical pain, but he has no say-so over my soul. Thank God. So that means that because I am a child of God and I belong to the family of God where I cry out, Abba, Father, because I've received this spirit of adoption because of what Christ has done on my behalf now, because I am secure in my, in my faith because of what the Holy Spirit has done in me, because I've trusted in Christ that death has lost its sting. The grave no longer has victory. I can have peace that whatever trial, whatever thing I'm going through, that if I have Jesus, I have enough because it's Christ plus nothing that equals everything. And even in our suffering, we're victorious in Christ. In 2 Thessalonians, let's go back here and let's continue to read on. Let's pick back up in verse 6. Actually, let's back up a little bit. Let's reread verse 5 and then we'll, we'll read on. Verse 5, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. You see, Paul is encouraging the church to remember that God is the vindicator, that God is the justifier. You and I often want to see justice exacted in our manner, in our time frame, in our lifetime. We want to see those who had persecuted us, those who have done us wrong, those who have uh, taken us for granted, those who have hurt us, those who have misused us, those who have broken our trust, those who have violated our, 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 our relationship, and, and those who have done us wrong. We want to see them pay. And that's part of that sinful, fallen human nature. We want to see justice exacted the way that we want to see it happen and when we want to see it happen. But God said, don't worry about those who are persecuting you. And Paul's reminding the church, let God take care of those who may be persecuting you. Instead of you going out and actually causing harm to them or just praying that God just rains down on them, you know, with, with, with brimstone and, and all sorts of terrible things uh, and calamities befall them, actually pray for your enemies. Pray for those who abuse you, who persecute you, those who misuse you, those who break your trust, those who, who have done you wrong, forgive them. Even the disciples said, Lord, how many times are we supposed to forgive them? Like, I think a good number would be like seven times. Because like seven's a number you like, right, God? Like that's a number. That's a number you like. So seven, what if we forgave them seven times? And Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. You're like for the same thing? Yeah, yeah the same thing because that's how much God has forgiven us. And Scripture also says that as we have freely received, we're supposed to freely do what? Give. And so what I've received from God is supposed to move my heart in such a way it's supposed to be coming out of me. That's the evidence of the realization of what I have received. 
and how precious of a gift that Jesus truly is and what he's done on the cross. And it changes me. It changes the way I interact with other people. It changes the way that I view when I'm done wrong. And here Paul is saying, God's going God's to take care of those who have rejected him. God is going to exact justice on them. And, and actually, the, the justice that he's going to exact on them is they're going to be separated from him for eternity because they've chosen in this lifetime to not want to follow him and receive his good grace anyways. And so if they've spent their lifetime rejecting the goodness and the, and the grace and the love of mercy uh, that God has to offer through the free gift of salvation through what Christ has done, then they're going to spend eternity choosing that. Sometimes people say, oh, why would a good God, a loving God, send people to hell? God doesn't send people to hell. They choose to reject His grace. They're choosing to reject His goodness. And so part of the, 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 the result of that is you'll eternally be in that type of position because their hearts have not been moved by the message of the gospel. Their, their hearts have not been transformed by the renewing uh, of the Holy Spirit that happens at that point of regeneration, of asking for forgiveness and, and re reaching out to receive Christ and saying, Lord, I need you, and, and I repent, and turning from their sin and reaching forward to, to pursue their Creator and right relationship with Him. I mean, how beautiful of an opportunity. And this message, that's why it's so important that we preach this message. That's so important that we pray for our enemies, not to see them get what's coming to them. That's not the heart of someone filled with the love of God. God doesn't rejoice over those being eternally separated from His presence. God doesn't rejoice over that fact. And neither should we. I mean, I even think about, <clears throat> this may be a touchy subject, but I even think about people that maybe we even face in military conflict. We get so angry when we watch the news and we see another report about how evil men can be and the wickedness in which they have uh, lived. Are we praying for their salvation? Are we praying for them to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus and to be forgiven of all the hatred and anger in their heart? You know, God can forgive them. You know God can forgive them? Because if He can forgive someone like me, there's no limit to His love. Nope, I stop here. <laughs> These are, this is the criteria for the types of people I'll forgive. Everybody else, you've crossed the line, buddy. <laughs> you've done too much bad. No, His grace is so big that He even used someone who was persecuting the church, the Apostle Paul, before he was the Apostle Paul, opened his eyes and his heart was drawn by the Spirit to receive Christ. And then he ended up writing two-thirds of the New Testament Scripture. I mean, come on. If God can use someone like that. I mean, wouldn't you imagine if you were in the church back in those days and you heard that Paul or Saul of Tarsus, I know it's just one letter. You're Saul. I know the difference, buddy. You'd think you were being tricked, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you think it was a trap? It's a trap. You would think, oh no, it's, it, they're, they're going to lure us all in to hear Paul speak, right? <laughs> and some people thought that. They were scared of this guy. But when people saw him and interacted with him, they saw it was genuine. They saw it was real. And they welcomed him as a brother. One of the very people who used to oversee them being persecuted. One who was probably responsible for families being split up. 
for loved ones being beaten and imprisoned. Someone that you would have said, I want justice done. And instead, God showed mercy. You and I have the same opportunity. I know people are doing you wrong. I know people have done you wrong. And it's not right. It doesn't make it okay. I'm not saying it's okay what happened, what they did, what they didn't do. But I am saying that God's grace is bigger. I am saying that his love shed abroad in our heart should be bigger. And we shouldn't be worried about them getting what's coming to them. Instead, we should be praying for their salvation. Amen? I believe that as we read in light of what Paul's saying to the Thessalonians, that we should trust that vengeance belongs to the Lord. And those who are, are a part of causing our suffering, it's not our job to wish them ill. It's our job to pray for them and trust the Lord for the rest. Verse 11, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we say yes to greater things. We say yes to walking worthy of the calling in which we're called. Because we are called to live in light of eternity. You are called to live in light of eternity. With eternity as the focus, as, the, as, as, as part of this, this thing that drives our behaviors. In light of eternity, what matters more? You see, this life here on earth is temporary, but what we do with this time that we've been given impacts eternity. So for us to say yes to greater things means we must prioritize eternal things over temporal things. We must even endure temporal pain for greater eternal glory. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't allow your past to hold you down. Don't allow others' opinions to keep you from saying yes to greater things. Do not let fear of others or what they may do to you keep you from saying yes to Jesus because he's worth it. And he wants us to walk worthy of our calling because he's calling you and he's calling me and he's calling us to say yes to greater things. So don't get discouraged because of your circumstances. Could it be that God is working in you something greater to bring him glory as we look through the lens of eternity, with our problem, with our challenge, I want to encourage you today to say yes to greater things. Lord, I want to trust in you. Lord, I want to deepen my faith and my dependence on you. I'm not going to give up because this thing's hard. I'm not going to throw my hands up in the air because I've been done wrong or I've been disappointed. I'm going to remind myself of the great price that you've paid, and I'm going to remain and stand in spite of the persecution and the obstacles I may be facing because I know that greater is he who's in me than he that's in the world. And I know that it's for your glory, Lord, and it's eventually for my good because I know you're working all things together for my good because I love you, Lord. And I'm trusting you in the face of this challenge. I'm trusting you. Maybe some of you are being persecuted for your faith. Maybe some of you are being kicked outside of circles that you used to run in. You're not welcome maybe as much before. 
Maybe they're labeling you. Oh, you're just on this Jesus thing right now. Okay, yeah. Okay, you're all about God. You're, you're just, a, you're just a, a church person now. Okay, that's cute. Maybe they're labeling you. Maybe they're, 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 they're outing you or, or, or maybe just you know, kind of uh, uh, persecuting you even in, by mocking you. And it can be discouraging. Maybe you're not invited to family get-togethers as much as you used to be. Can I tell you this? Jesus is worth it. Keep loving people in spite of the way they treat you. It's not all going to go your way. Let's just get that out there. And that's okay. Because Jesus is worth it. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity to share your scripture with our church family here at Word of Grace, our church family that we have welcomed at the downtown jail with those who are also joining us from all over the world online. And as we have opened your word today, as we have sung songs, as we have fellowshiped together, as we have been encouraged and challenged and reminded of your goodness, may it stir in us action, trust. May it cause peace. May it restore hope. May it bring us joy, even in the face of our current situation. You're good, Lord. Help us to be the body of Christ, loving each other in response to your goodness. Help us to bear one another's burdens, to love each other, and help us to lean into that Christ-centered community and know that we're not alone because you're always with us and Lord, help us to remember we are to be surrounded by those who also love you, to continue to move forward together, to be the body, to be the church. Help us to walk worthy of the calling which you've called us to for your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>